The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletico Physical Therapy and CDW. Good Thursday evening, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well out there in Chicagoland and parts unknown as we get you set for another edition of Bears All Access. I'm Jeff Joniak, along with our broadcast partner from News Radio 780 at 105.9 FM WBBM, Mr. Tom Thayer, the Chicago Bear. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing well, Jeff. Looking forward to a good Thursday show. It seems like there's a little momentum of conversation picking up all around the sports world, and um, I think it's interesting whether it's a starting date or a rule change. There's always something to talk about. Always something. Certainly in the National Football League where Jim Miller holds it down at Sirius XM NFL Radio along with Pat Kerwin. Jim, how are you? And uh, the, this topic obviously today was the NFL uh, looking at some potential rules changes uh, and, and of most importance was the onside kick alternative, which they did not officially vote on today. Yeah, um, I've certainly a lot going on. Like you said, I'm starting to hear some some good news with everything concerning COVID-19. States opening up. Obviously, governors are around uh, this country country opening up uh, sports and training camps that probably will happen uh, here this fall. And then the good news today, even Roger Goodell announced that coaches and, and staff will be able to return to a lot of their facilities next week. So they're hoping that is the plan. Hopefully, everybody will be able to do that around uh, the National Football League. But yeah, the rules changes were the big news uh today uh jeff and again the proposals that were out there concerning the sky judge two proposals basically were were scrapped and now they've come up with a new proposal that they don't know yet or not whether they'll utilize it here this fall it sounds like it'll be tested during the the preseason then it'll be kicked to the competition committee whether they'll allow in terms of the the sky official or booth official however you want to give the moniker uh, the name that that still has has open possibilities that that could be utilized here this fall and coming up at the bottom of the hour around 6 30 we'll be joined by rules analyst dean blandino to break that thing down as well. Coming up here at about 6'10", Darnell Mooney, fifth-round draft pick, one of the three the Bears chose here in 2020. The rookie receiver uh, will join us out of Tulane, and he will have uh, a lot of confidence. I know that. He's a very confident young man and has a bit of a chip on his shoulder, as a lot of these draft picks in the 2020 class Tom and Jim have had. So we'll be looking forward to talking to him about wide receiver play. Uh, An ex-Bears assistant, Perry Fuel, named today to Senior Vice President of Officiating Administration. He's going to oversee day-to-day operations of the department and uh, be a liaison, a guy with uh, a couple of interim head coaching jobs. He's been a defensive coordinator to this league. He's worked his way up, and uh, he knows what goes on inside the heads of coaches, head coaches and general managers, Tom. Yeah, I think anybody that's going to try to make a football decision should have some type of football in their background, whether it's coaching, playing, um, you know, just the development side of it. So I, I think it's a good decision. Perry's a good guy. And, again, responsible decisions that are being made in the, in the terms and the rules and the guidelines of football, it's good to have that experience. Yeah, especially, you know, especially for that 4th and 15th play. How, if you're an NFL coach, how would you look at that play? Especially, it was scheduled to be at the 25-yard line. So that was tabled, and I think rightfully so. I think a lot of coaches wouldn't want that. Because if you don't get that 4th and 15, essentially your opponent is already in field goal range. 
I don't know why it wasn't proposed at maybe the 35-yard line or even the potential 40-yard uh, line. And the, I think all the stats on 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 you know basically onside kicks it's a little bit false, Pat, because or it's a little bit false, you guys, because there was a story out there today that any team trailing. Uh, you know, that had tried to use an onside kick, had lost games. The The record was no wins, 104 losses. There were numerous teams that actually had an opportunity, and it goes back last year, Atlanta Falcons versus the Saints. Atlanta basically recovered two onside kicks and had a chance to, to win the game, but uh, three sacks is really what derailed them. So I think some of the misnomers about the onside kick, I don't think, uh, coaches and I think even owners still want to take the foot out of football just yet. They like the third phase and maybe they can revisit how to make uh, onside kicks more meaningful again. Right, and I think we all are in agreement on this this show that we talked about many times. I, I don't want to see that third phase get any more derailed because it, it offers a lot of excitement and I know there's uh, the health issues involved, but Tom and Jim uh, that's such a major part of the history of the game. I, I hate all these little changes, but Hopefully it won't get too crazy. I mean, you heard uh, Mr. Rooney over there in Pittsburgh say it was too much of a gimmick. Well, you know, the thing about it is they kind of changed the onside kick a couple of years ago when they made them even out the players from one side of the ball to the other. So there is no player at the front line of defense that's going to get overwhelmed by, you know, having multiple bodies come at them. So I think they did make the play safer. I think when you open up a, a team to – get a fourth and 15 you're just opening up the possibility of the biggest receiver inviting a pass interference one-on-one route and you know that kind of adds to the you know to the the fundamental flaws that could happen in a play like that and so i i'm glad that they're going to keep and try to work and keep the onside kick into the game yeah i hope uh that, you know a couple years ago when the new kickoff rule was established, supposedly the competition committee was going to reach out to all the special teams coaches to see, because after that first year, they came back and saw how much onside kick recoveries had dropped. It had plummeted from 23% to essentially less than 10%. It actually came in at 8%. Last year, believe it or not, it doubled. We saw one uh, in the Bears game, obviously the Lions-Bears game, Prater and they recovered an onside kick. I believe Mabin uh, is the one who recovered it, but Mm -hmm. they basically doubled. Onside kick recoveries went from 8% up to 13%. My point is, if you go out and you, maybe you talk to some of these special teams coaches, maybe they can come up with some creative ideas to get that number even a little bit closer to the 20% margin. Because even that, to me, I'll, I'll take my chances with an onside kick than a fourth and 15. The percentages just aren't in your favor. And as Tom mentioned, could be a gimmick where just a pass interference by the defense could get a team back in the game. I don't want to see that, and I don't think anybody else does. That's Jim Miller, top there. I'm Jeff Joniak. We'll be joined by Darnell Mooney, the rookie receiver for the Bears, coming out of the break here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, a proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Jeff Joniak, along with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller, Joining you for our typical Thursday night rundown, and this is the uh, final show of May. Uh, did you guys feel the month went slow, or did it go fast? Uh, you know, I, I, it did go slow just because of the scenario we're in. There's not a lot to look forward to the next day, so you're kind of going through this the same old thing. 
But then uh, Joliet got hit with a series of storms this past weekend, and it kind of threw everything into a tailspin. So it gave you a different concern outside the concern of pandemic. So it's kind of an ex- just a, a spring in the Midwest. Yeah, it's kind of Groundhog Day because the kids are home from school and you got uh, schooling. Now they're they're done, uh, thankfully, but it was just kind of Groundhog Day every every day, Jeff. I mean, to doing uh-huh. virtual Zoom-ins uh, with my son's teachers and professors and other students and then, of course, come up and talk football. So, yeah, I went pretty slow. So I, I went back to school is what I did, Jeff. All right, so you'll be you'll be happy. The calendar will flip to June. Oh and, yeah, let's, and, and let's it will go. get us closer. Clo- I mean, <laughs> it, it is moving in that direction. There's tons of momentum. We we're talking about it. You mentioned the coaches, uh, according to Commissioner Goodell, could return. All 32 got to be able to do it though at once. He's going right. to continue to maintain that competitive balance. And then in the memo that they gave with the players' association, they're um, they're trying to see if they could get the players, at least some, to return to facilities before the off-season program ends. I'm certain that some players would really like that to happen, guys. Oh, of course, Jeff. You know that's you know the thing about off-season training for football players. It's it's different than just training as a as a, as a normal citizen like we do because you know you need that that extra bodies around you when you're going through for these attempts of these weights that they got to get you ready to prepare for football, you need the surrounding support. You need the security of spotters. And it's something that you can't go in your garage and do by yourself because it's too dangerous. And so I was thinking about this and it'd be interesting for Jeff and, and Jim. So to me, I think, you know, speed is a hard recovery if you're not doing it every day, just like strength is. But it kind of like which of the two, when the players get active again, is going to be the, the hardest to recover? The strength they're not getting on an everyday basis in their own weight rooms or speed because they're not challenging themselves in the open field and, and doing the running drills that they, they would be in a football sense. Yeah. Yesterday I had the opportunity to talk to Joe Flacco on Sirius and he basically said it, Jeff. I, I think there are players out there, I think young and old, they want to go to work, man. Mm-hmm. It's time to go to work it is what it is. And I talked to Bill Callahan today, the offensive line coach of the Cleveland Browns. He said he's going out of his mind. This guy has coached <laughs> over 40 years, 40 years. He said, to me, for me to hold a virtual meeting with players, he goes, I can cover the wide zone all day long. I can co- cover the te- techniques and all that. But, Tom, you and I both know, you got to get out on that field. You got to do the shoots. You got to hit the sleds. You got all these other things that you have to do. And there's only so much that can be accomplished in terms of the install in a virtual world. You got to get out. And it's specifically when it comes to building chemistry on a football team. Even veteran players like Dwayne Brown, the starting left tackle out there for the Seattle Seahawks, he said it best. He goes, We're, we're going to have a small window coming out of training camp to get this chemistry down. And, Tom, that's one of the hardest things to settle. Who are your top five offensive linemen? How is that going to settle itself out? Because you're going to be distributing all those reps. So I think everybody overall is looking to get back to work, and chemistry is one of the biggest things that you build here in an offseason, and it's all been missed. You can only do so much in a virtual world. And Tom, well, you know, we're, we're, you know who, one thing, Jeff, is, is I, was, I was reading a report today when you talk about the virtual world and how you have to get into the minds of the other players. 
Philip Rivers in a Zoom meeting was going over his cadence and the way he uses his cadence at the line of scrimmage so the offensive members can become familiar with the tone because he's going to have a different tone to his cadence than probably the last quarterbacks he's been through. He probably has more similarities to Peyton Manning than anybody who's been there since. So, I mean, those are the like the little details that they have the ability to do, but it's not reality, but you're, you're giving everybody a sense of how Phillip Rivers talks and reacts at the line of scrimmage. Uh, waiting, Darnell Mooney, Bears rookie receiver, and then coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll be joined by Dean Blandino, the rules specialist who works for Fox Sports and the NFL and the NCAA. Uh, this is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. All right, so as we bring it closer to home and talk Bears, in terms of this situation right now, what units are most affected on the Bears by this lack of being face-to-face, on the field, working out, getting strong, and those types of things, learning from the new offensive coaches and whatnot? You know, I, I, you know to me, it's, it is about the offensive line because you're talking about five guys. Sometimes you add seven to eight that have to work as one unit. They have to be completely together in design footwork and understanding of the terminology that you're listening in the huddle. And so you're bringing in a new offensive line coach. You're bringing in multiple new offensive linemen. They're going to be fighting for jobs. And it's, it's really hard to work on the specifics of the choreographed technique that you have in an offensive line when you don't have a hands-on approach. Because if Juan Castillo is making a correction to Rashad Coward at right guard, he has to make sure Bobby Massey and Cody Whitehair, the center and guard next to him, are on the same page. And they're listening to the information that the right guard's getting because it affects the center and the right tackle. And for me, it's just going to be the young players overall. What do we always say? The players who make the biggest jump is comes from year one to year two. So think of players like David Montgomery. All right, his opportunity is the in this off season to make that jump from year one to year two, where you probably have your biggest jump as a player. He's missed all that. He's missed it all through the OTAs, through the mini camps, and we'll see if they're able to get something done here in the next month or so if players are able to report back. So I worry about first-year players going into their second year, and I would say any of these young draft picks, because as Tom will back me up on this, it's one thing, much like Bill Callahan or, say, any of the the Bears coaches, to say, hey, guys, on a virtual meeting, he explains everything. All right, guys, you got that? You understand that? Yeah, coach, I got it. (laughs) Oh, do you got it? Because if you don't got it, you're going to get us all fired is what you're going to do. Because they say I got it, and Tom will back me up on this as well. That is the most abuse saying by players in the NFL. I got it, coach. I got it. I'll get it. Yeah, you don't got it. Because you went out there for your first rep, and you screwed it all up. That's not what we coached you to do. So I think the young players will certainly be affected by it the most. Tom, in that scenario, so will these young players, or even the new players that come to the Bears, because if this doesn't go according to exact plan and you're still maintaining you're going to start a training camp, is it going to feel like the world's spinning 100 miles an hour for these guys because they didn't have the benefit of this day-to-day in face? There's going to be a lot of pressure. If they do, if it's spinning out of control, then it's their own fault. Because, you know, Jeff – uh, again, when we were carrying around 300-page playbooks, it's different than carrying around your tablet. You have access to it at any time. You know, the worst thing you can do is transfer, I got it, 
to the practice field an hour later and you're completely lost because the coach is looking at you and said, hey, one hour ago you told me you completely got it, and obviously you don't. There's no proof in the pudding when you're going through these virtual meetings. If I, you're saying I got it, they have to assume you got it because there's no proof an hour later on the practice field. So if you are, you know, when, the, when this thing starts to get in motion, if you go outfield and you're completely lost, it's going to be evidence of it wasn't that it didn't mean that much to you in the first place, and you know, it, and then it gives them reason to, you know, put that check mark next to your name in terms of you know a guy that really went above and beyond and made sure he understood the information by the time they got here. That's Tom Thayer, Jim Miller, Jeff Joniak here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score now joined by Tulane wide receiver Darnell Mooney, one of the Bears' three fifth round draft choices, the five ten plus wide receiver in pick number one seventy three out of Gadsden. Alabama, kind enough to spend some time with us tonight. Uh, how you doing, Darnell? Things going well? Yes, sir. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Now, I know this. You've talked about it, and almost every member of this draft class, for whatever reason, whether it started from their college recruitment or being snubbed in high school or their draft standing in the NFL, this particular group, and we've interviewed many of you already in this draft class, all seem to be motivated in a in a sense by being overlooked at some point in their careers. You're certainly one of those guys. We've heard you say it. But how good does it feel to know that your guys here in Chicago, your Bears front office people, your coaches, you were coveted. Was that the first time in your life playing football that you feel like you've been coveted by somebody to play this game? Uh, very true, very true. Uh, I I do feel that way, but um, at the end of the day, I take I take the ones that uh, are critiquing the bad way and uh, are looking for me to to for them to be right. So I mean, got got something to prove all the time. But um, like you said, I mean, with with now, you know, the quarantine going on, I mean, I feel like I have an edge of just uh, competing against guys that um are in the NFL and um they always had a trainer and are and never had to like push for themselves and uh, I feel like I have an edge that way so Hey Darnell I was reading an article about you and I really love the short answer you gave and the question was why draft you and you said I'm not a risk I'm a good investment why aren't you a risk and what's the investment the bears are getting um outside the speed element that you've you know, everybody's talking about after the combine. Um, a great route runner, um, a guy that he's uh, going to do more than give you speed. He's going to do, he's going to give you something explosive with the ball. It's just going to be, I mean, everything that you can ask for that you feel like you haven't seen, you're you're definitely going to get that out of me. Uh, the contested catches, the the all around receiver, as you uh, you would um, dream of. of Everybody just having the all-around package. I feel like I have that. Darnell, Jim Miller Miller here. Good to talk to you, my friend, and welcome to Chicago. If you were to assess your game, what areas do you want to work on where you feel you need to improve uh, personally or maybe just the feedback coaches, areas they'd like you to to improve and that you've been working on? Um, Just, uh, I mean, in college, I kind of, like, rounded off on MI releases. 
instead of like being a little bit aggressive with the DB. Uh, but um, I tend to like, yeah, tend to go a little wider. But um, I've learned from past uh, practices of going against a, a longer DB of just being a little bit more aggressive. It has worked in my favor. So doing that and then, um, um, you know, not going so wide. I mean, not spreading out on my releases. But uh, that's just something we did at Tulane that I had to get out of that I have it. I mean, I didn't like it at first, but then I had got into it, and then now I got to get back out of it. So, I mean, it won't be a it won't be a hard thing to change. With us is Darnell Mooney out of Tulane, Bears' newest wide receiver. Yeah, they talk about your speed, boy, and it's elite. Four three eight at the fourth fastest at the combine. Um, but I'm more interested in what you've had to say about your route running because not every kid. And you included. You didn't get to run the entire route tree at Tulane. We've heard that. And most college kids don't. So when it gets to the NFL, it's a little challenging. And there are a lot of numbers to support that. But you feel that you are so driven to understand the route tree that you think you're going to make an easier transition that way because that's that's a big part of the battle. The biggest part of the battle, getting off the line of scrimmage in the National Football League for young receivers. But when did you start trying to, as you put it, master that route tree? Um, I would have to say uh, about my sophomore year of uh, college, I just started being more critiquing of, like, my routes. I never thought of myself as, like, a, a fast guy. I always thought of myself as a guy as good at getting off the release and then um, and then uh, running my routes of uh, winning. I never thought of myself as a fast guy. The fast thing just came up. Uh, it's just, a, you know an increase of what else I have. Hey, Darnell, in the last 10 years, the Bears have had some pretty exciting playmakers like Devin Hester and even Tariq Cohen nowadays. And there's a quote that says, uh, you're a playmaker with the ball in your hands in space. Do you have any special teams visions in terms of a returner uh, when you come up to the NFL? Oh, yes, uh, definitely. I mean, I did power return in high school. I did power return my freshman year of college, and then I just caught them during uh during practice. Uh, it was just like a it was just a thing that the coaches were were having me do. I mean, if anything went bad, I, I, I was able to go back there. But uh, power return, kickoff return. I mean, I'm comfortable doing it. If I'm if I have the chance to do it, I will. But um, I mean, that's another thing. If you say like if I if I have the ball in like space. Uh, things can happen um, on the good side, but um, I mean, punt return is very is a very easy thing to do when um, I can just do my own thing. I don't have a certain way to go. How has the install gone virtually in terms of digesting the offense? I know it can be voluminous, uh, maybe compared to what it was at Tulane, and maybe the attention to detail the Bears are going to be asking of you during uh, when you guys do get on the field to execute uh, these play calls. I know they probably have installed quite a bit, but how's that gone for you? Oh, it goes. It goes. I mean, it has went very smooth for me. I mean, I don't have a problem with it at all. I'm collecting all the information very uh very easy. I mean, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem at all. Darnell Mooney, our guest. Uh, final question from us here tonight, and it's more of a statement than a question. But I don't know if you know this or not, but your receivers coach, Mike Fury, you're getting to know him obviously through Zoom. In the last 20 years in the National Football League, Darnell, he is one of the 397 wide receivers that have hit a thousand yards in a season. There's only been 11 by rookies. Um, 
but that's saying something because that's a former defensive back. So you can tell him you know a little bit about about his NFL playing days. Now, Mike Furry looks like he's ready to play right now. You've seen the muscled-up receivers coach, and you're thinking that guy that guy would be pretty tough as a DB too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I love, I love Coach Ferry. Um, I can't wait to get on the field with him and work with him. He's a, he's a up-tempo coach and an up-tempo person as well. Um, he just has, I just love his mindset and uh, the mentality he brings every day. Very good. Well, Darnell, we'll be looking forward when we get all together back in uh, normalcy here and, and get to see you up at Hallisaw. And best of luck on uh, getting things rolling for your rookie season, one you'll probably never forget in the National Football League. Thank you. Darnell Mooney of Tulane, our guest here tonight on Score Sports Radio 670 as we break down the Bears from 2020 here on Bears All Access. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Dean Blandino, football rules analyst and specialist We'll take a news of the day look at what happened with the NFL owners meeting. We'll return after this on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by CDW. People who get it, learn more at CDW.com. Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer, your Bears broadcast crew, along with former Bears quarterback Jim Miller from Sirius XM NFL Radio. Our producer tonight, Brandon Orlowski, helping us out as we get you set for Bears Football 2020. Rules. It's always a topic this time of year and uh, after the NFL owners uh, got it virtually done today. Uh, joined by Dean Blandino, football rules analyst for the NFL, Fox Sports, and NCAA. And as uh, a Good Calls podcast, uh, Dean, thanks for joining us, the former vice president of officiating in the National Football League. Uh, we'll go right to it. What, what did you think today about the 4th and 15 conversion alternate uh, to the onside kick being tabled for discussion? Yeah, usually, and I know there are a lot of people at the league office that that want this to happen. And usually, when a when something gets tabled like that, they they didn't have the votes, you know. So, however they did it, if they canvassed the you know the virtual room, and um, ultimately it didn't have enough votes to pass, so they tabled it. They're going to try to they're going to try to have more discussion, work through some of these issues. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to get to 24 yes votes. They're going to. They got some work to do. But whenever something like that gets tabled, the, you know, the league office wants this to happen, and, and they don't. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want to go down without a fight right now. Dean, is it an open debate? You know, is it like the Lincoln Douglas debates when they're up there trying to, you know, fight for each side of this argument? And, you know, was there ever a time that maybe it was going to be swayed in that fourth and 15 direction? Yeah, you know, it is an open debate. I don't know. This is obviously, right, new ground virtually. Usually when you have these discussions, there's there's two people from every club. Everybody's in the same room. The entire competition committee is there and you can you can go up and speak your mind and have and have that conversation. This was done virtually, one person from every club. So, I'm um, I'm sure there was some dialogue, but probably not as much as when you have coaches in the room and things like that. Um, I think this this has gained momentum probably two weeks ago. You wouldn't have thought this was even going to be this close, and it certainly gained some momentum because, again, I think there are people at the league office that are pushing this, that want this to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think, they, like I said, they've got some work to do. I think there's still some issues. Um, I don't hate the idea, but I, I, I like, you know, whenever you're going to make a fundamental change to the game, I just think you need to make sure you bet out all the – unintended consequences. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, Dean, that's where I want to go with it because much like the pass interference uh, call, no call uh, that just got uh, went away like the, the dodo bird, I want to cover this rule uh, because in a past day it says to make permanent the expansion of automatic replay reviews to include scoring plays and turnovers negated by a foul and any successful or unsu- unsuccessful try attempt. I believe last year it only happened like 10 to 12 times, but yet they felt it was enough to where they wanted to move forward and pass this rule. Yeah, that, that was something, you know, like you said, it doesn't happen very often. It does, it does take the pressure off the coach that during a try, regardless of what happens, regardless if it's ruled good or no good, um, it takes the pressure off the coach that he doesn't have to challenge. It puts it on replay scoring play. That's negated by penalty turnover. That's negated by penalty doesn't happen very often, but again, it, it takes it out of the coach's hands um, they don't have to use that and potentially lose a timeout, and it, and it makes it a, an automatic review, which I think is a good thing. But, again, it doesn't happen very often. Dean Blandino, our guest, a football rules analyst on the NFL, Fox Sports, and NCAA, joining us here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. I, I'm old school. I, I'm old-fashioned. I like things to stay the same. I, I resist change, Big <laughs> Dean. So this fourth and 15 idea, really, me personally, as a play-by-play guy and a lover of the game, I just, I just, I know safety comes first. I do. But the whole idea of moving things away from the kicking game, aside from that, just in the kick return game and whatnot, I just worry down the road that the elimination of some really exciting plays, no matter how lack of success percentages say there is, would, would be something that we're going to miss at the same time. Um, but I do like the idea of expanding the defenseless player protection for kick and punt return. Yeah, you know, I'm like you where, again, I don't, I don't think this needs to be changed in terms of the 4th and 15. I, this is not a player safety change. Anyone that tells you that, the data, there's no significant data that says, you know, the 4th and 15 play is, is any more or less safe than, than an onside kick. It's just they don't have that at this point. Um, I, I like the, the execution of the onside kick if you have – if you're a team like Atlanta that has a kicker that can that can do it, um, you know more power to you. Um, I do like the protection. Look, the defenseless player protections have been a significant and a, and a much needed um, change over the last however many years, 25, 30 years, and uh, and allowing the kick returner that extra protection that not just when they catch it, but until they have the time to protect themselves. Um, just like a receiver, it's more or less been officiated that way. But to put it in the rule book, I think, is, is a necessary step. Dean, like the pass interference and like the fourth and 15 onside, is there another powder keg topic out there that we're going to be paying attention to 2020 and beyond? Or are we waiting for the first onside kick to come up and then the whole argument will restart depending upon who gets it or doesn't get it? Yeah, I mean, this onside alternative isn't going to go away. You know, if they if they do eventually get the votes and maybe they call for for another vote, I think I think the big thing now is going to be right a, a sky judge. The that concept they they agreed to have a preseason experiment, and I think that's going to be the next the next big thing. Somebody up in the booth. We already have a replay official, but can that replay official? Can we expand their purview? and let them help the crew in other areas other than catch-no-catch and scoring plays and things like that. So I think it'll be interesting to see um, how much of an experiment we get, you know, how much of a preseason are we going to get, and are we going to get, 
you know, a, a good indication of what that could look like during the regular season. So I think that's probably the next big thing. Yeah, Dean, I want to piggyback off of what you just stated there because it would be an eighth official uh, added to the crew. And I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly uh, or anything like that, but, you know, you look at the – and this is what Troy Vincent talked about, the VP of football ops at, at the league office, about the recruitment of officials. If you have to add more officials, and that would be an eighth official added, or, God forbid – Say during the fall, some of the officials get COVID-19. Will there be extra officials available for games? How is the recruitment of officials going to expand it and get it up to date? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. It comes down to people. It comes down to personnel and having qualified people that can step in. There are there are 17 officiating crews. There's 17 replay officials. Um, I can't sit here and say all 17 are – are uh, on the same level in terms of competencies, just like anything else. There are going to be some people that are better than others. And, uh, and I wouldn't say that all 17 of those could step right in today and be an eighth official up in the booth and, and handle additional duties. So, so that's the challenge. And I think the NFL has to continue to um, find the right people, coach them up, teach them, train them, and get them ready. Because, yeah, we're going into a, a season with – you know, something that hasn't happened in our lifetime and, and, and who knows what's going to happen with with people potentially getting sick and you're going to have to have people ready to go to, to step in. So I think personnel is going to be is going to be a big challenge. Remaining anonymous with uh, Dean Blandino, uh, the outstanding uh, rules analyst for the National Football League, Fox Sports and NCAA as well. Uh, the former VP of officiating the National Football League. Dean, what's your how will now after the interference experiment how will that now translate, do you think, on the field? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, I have never I've never seen a rule change go in for one year um in my time that was just not even proposed the following year. It was just a complete like and, and these aren't my words. I mean Troy Vincent said it. It was a complete failure. And to have, you know, just the way it was implemented, it just they struggled with finding the right standard. And, uh, and I think it started to affect the officials on the field and, and, and wondering, you know, what is and what isn't. If that's not pass interference, if you don't overturn that, um, I'm not going to call that the next time out. So, so I think, again, getting back to if pass interference is a problem, let's get back to the root. Where, where, where does it start? It starts with the officials on the field. Teach, coach them up, make sure they understand what it is. Um, I think we saw all the unintended consequences of reviewing those subjective fouls. Um, play out last year and that and as you think about a sky judge and adding things to to what's reviewable those have got to be some of the you know some of the considerations you know how far is far enough do we need to fix every little thing or can we let the officials officiate and let replay help when uh, when it's necessary Dean, real quickly for me, my entire career I was on kickoff return. And then when I looked at the new formation of the kickoff return in the XFL, it was really appealing. And I think it added a a safety element, plus it gave them an opportunity to return and have an exciting play continue in football. Has there been any conversation, not, I mean, implementing, but at least talking about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of the NCAA rules. Um, meetings, the competition committee meetings, we definitely discussed it. Um, I know the NFL has discussed it, and uh, you know I was a part of, of the XFL, so I got to see it, you know, play out, and, and it did exactly what what we thought it would. It kept the return in the game. Ninety four percent of kicks were returned. Um, it eliminated and reduced some of those high impact collisions, and it, 
and it kept an exciting play in the game, and it actually, you know, it made it safer. Small sample size, certainly, but um, I think I think it's, there's something to be said for that for that formation. And it, there's no question the NFL has has talked about it Good. in terms of implementation. Who knows? But but they definitely it's on their radar. Let me ask you this, Dean, because the pass interference rule going away, so it leaves the possibility of another Saints-Rams uh, game. How is the mechanics of the Sky Judge or this idea they're going to cultivate here and then the competition committee, it sounds like they will decide it through the preseason games. How will those mechanics work out if you if you have any information on how that will work here this preseason? Yeah, yeah. so you have, you have wireless communication amongst the seven officials on the field and, and upstairs to the replay booth, two-way communication. So the way mechanically um, it would work, from my understanding, is that the on-field officials could solicit information from the replay official upstairs. They would have to do that before 25 seconds um, are on the play clock. So the play ends, there's a ruling. They can get help from upstairs, ask for help on certain situations, and the replay official using the video could provide that, that, that help. The way it's set up now, once we get to 25 seconds on the play clock, now we're getting ready for, for the next play. There, there's nothing that, that the replay official can do. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that communication can be seamless, if it's not interrupting the flow of the game. The last thing we want is officials waiting and standing around um, after every other play, waiting for somebody upstairs to kind of give them a green light. That, that's going to just destroy the pace of the game, and I think that would be counterproductive. So, so we'll see how it goes in the preseason. And then, like you said, I think the competition committee, they'll have the ability to discuss it and potentially, you know, it's, the, the commissioner could put something in um, for the regular season uh, if, if they feel like it's, uh, it makes sense and the, and the experiment worked. All right, Dean, we'll let you go. Really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Good, informative you, stuff. Dean Blandino. Stay safe out there. Football rules analyst, doing a great job as always. When we come back, we'll continue to look at the Bears of 2020. Break things down from today as we continue on. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer, Jim Miller with you until the top of the hour. Tide is offering free laundry services to the families of Chicagoland frontline responders until the end of May. Visit hope.tidecleaners.com to find a location near you. Jim Miller, Tom Thayer with you. Jeff Joniak wrapping things up. Good to talk to Dean Blandy. I know, Jim, you talk to him all the time uh, there on SiriusXM, but... Um, Really makes it uh, understandable for the average person, just uh, average football fan, uh, clears up some of the the minutia of the of the rules. Yeah, I, I think he does a great job. I think you know he and Mike Pereira have been uh, you know the last two you know being a former NFL head of officiating do a great job in their explanations, and I just think a, just a straightforward common sense uh, approach. Um, I think Al Riveron has somewhat struggled uh, a little bit, and, and hopefully he'll continue to uh, to get better moving forward. But a lot of these officials, and I even talked to ESPN's John Perry uh, today, who was really very excellent in explaining the points, like you said, in, in layman's terms, that all the fans out there get a good idea and perspective of what they're trying to to accomplish. It's not an easy job. I think we all understand that. The human element is a part of it. They're going to make mistakes. It's a fast-moving uh, sports, but at the end of the day, 
uh, golf fans and, and all football fans in general, you just you just want the right call. I think everybody wants the right call and how it's executed down on the field. Hey Tom, you you threw a trivia question at me before the show started about pass interference. Let's let's see if Jim Miller's on it as a former NFL quarterback. Big Tom, what do you got? What play is what play is the most pass interference called on uh, this past season, anyways, in the NFL? What play? What do you mean? Like what, spe- what first, second, third, or fourth down? Because uh, what, what, Jim, the reason I was asking you this is because fourth and fifteen just invited the element of pass interference, creatively designed pass interference plays. But when I went back and looked at it, the most pen- the most pass interference penalties were called on what down and distance? Ooh, I would probably say third and short, third and short to medium is what I'd say. Well, it's, it's first and 10. It's first and 10. And um, that's what surprised me the most, Jim, when I looked it up, because yeah. I was thinking, too, I was thinking, you know, third and 10 and above, I thought would be the most. And I think maybe it's defensive backs or defensive players getting caught off guard when there's an equal run pass threat at that point. Yeah. You get a double move, you reach out, grab them, and that probably well, just or because. Say, you know, you're going for the juggler right away, catch a defense, you know, maybe yeah. napping a little bit to start a game, and, you know, it gets a little handsy down there. Well, that would – I mean, the same theory, because the reason why I bring up third and short to medium, because that is still a rundown when it's when it's third and – and that's where, to me, defensive backs get a little bit grabby. So that makes sense on, on first and second down because – or first uh, down in terms of doing it, because the balance is there where it could be run or pass is really the the line of thinking I, I was going with. But, yeah, it is surprising on, on first down would be that, that down that's has the most from that All right, another question, another question for both of you in regards to the onside kick. So, yeah, you have at the end of the game, and everybody understands it's going to be an onside kick, and then you have the lineup. But you look at these coaches uh, like a John Gruden or a Sean Payton where they'll pull that onside kick because they recognize there's a front-line a blocker on kickoff return that leaves his spot too early. So that's an element that you can't take out of the game because all of that is is good investigative work by the special teams coach. And so, you know, it'd be weird if they took the end of the game onside out of it, but they didn't take the in-game onside kick out of it. Yeah, well, it actually happened in the Miami-Buffalo game last year. They ran a a surprise onside kick, and and it worked. I, you know, I think they just need to go back because two years ago when they implemented uh, this rule, and we know it was about player safety, about the return game and all that stuff, and you can't overload, as you mentioned, Tom, leave it up to the special teams coach. After the year, we know that, that it plummeted. They were supposed to reach out to all the special teams coaches and try to come up with an idea what would make the onside kick have more bite. Again, it used to be 24%. You could recover them. Now it plummeted to less than 8 the first year, 8%, and now it's already back up to 13 So put it in the special teams coach's hands. I think they'll be able to get it back up to that 20% margin where it has more influence and can be utilized in a game. In the home stretch, that's Jim Miller, Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Wrapping things up before we hand it off to the top of the hour, Jeff Joniak along with Tom Thayer and Jim Miller. Thanks to our guests earlier tonight. We had Darnell Mooney, the fifth-round pick wide receiver for the Bears. And, guys, I am excited about uh, a, a guy with that kind of speed 
because, yes, it's going to take a while. And I think I'm right, Jim, on this. Young receivers, I don't care how talented, getting off the line of scrimmage in press at this level is the biggest challenge that he will face. Yeah, well, there's no doubt. One, because of his size and his weight, right? I believe he was listed, uh, you know, at 175. I know he'll gain a little bit, but they can be thrown off by some of these big corners. And let's be honest. I mean, you got all these monster receivers coming out. Teams have been drafting, going back to the Legion of Boom uh, by the Seattle Seahawks, bigger and bigger corners. And uh, that can throw off a a young receiver who, one, he's probably going to get stronger in the weight room so his path can't be thrown off. But, you know, I'm glad you brought up the special teams aspect of it, uh, Jeff, because I think from that standpoint, that's where players can have an impact early. You know, when you look at players like whether it's Antonio Brown when he broke into the league or Des Bryant of the Dallas Cowboys, where do they make – or even Tyree Kill, right? He's known as a receiver, but he is the biggest impact was as a returner early in his career. And I think definitely uh, Mooney could have an impact from that standpoint if he's utilized punt returns and maybe incorporated in the kick return side of it as well. You know, Jim and Jeff, one of the most interesting articles I read by read by Darnell is that in the latter part of his college career, he started to take note of the size of the cornerbacks he was playing against. And he would alter his route running style accordingly. And he had a difference of route style against a taller, lankier corner than he did a shorter one. So I'm really interested to see if that's information that he can take and utilize in the NFL. And I know that the cornerback talent's a lot different, but there is an obvious observation you make of your opponent, whether you're an offensive lineman looking at a defensive lineman or a receiver looking at a cornerback. And I think the presence of a veteran speedster like Ted Ginn Jr. will help the young man out a little bit. Knows a little thing about speed and how to use that to your advantage on routes, not just go routes. All right, we're out of time, fellas. Thanks very much. Thanks to Dean Blandino, who just texted and said, thanks for having me. He was very, he was very good. Thanks, Dean. Tom, Tom Thayer. Jim, we'll talk to you next week, big fella. Sounds good, man. And thanks to Brandon Arlovsky, Jordan Treadup, Dan Brilli, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next Thursday night on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on ChicagoBears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.